Big Fluffy. Attention, Dulles Control Tower. Mr. Trudeau, I know you're listening. But unfortunately, you're not obeying. Try me face to face, we'll see. You were warned not to try to restore your systems. You've wasted lives and precious time on a futile and obvious target. Now you're going to pay the penalty. I got five dead officers down here, Colonel Stewart. Isn't that penalty enough? McLean, you keep out of this. You've been nothing but a pain. Oh, McLean. John McLean. The policeman hero who saved the Nakatomi hostages. I read about your people magazine. You seemed a bit out of your league on Nightline, I thought. Hey, Colonel, blow me. How much drug money is Esperanza paying you to turn traitor? I think Cardinal Richelieu said it best. Treason is merely a matter of dates. This country's got to learn that it can't keep cutting the legs off of men like General Esperanza, men who have the guts to stand up against communist aggression. And lesson one starts with killing policemen? What's lesson two, the neutron bomb? Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And now we have a machine gun. Ho, 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 ho. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are bringing our Christmas movie month to a close with Die Hard 2. Die even more. Die Harder. Yes. The, the one they tried the least. They... Say what you will about the subsequent sequels, but they at least came up with little flourishes. Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die Hard. What's the other one? I don't even remember. A Good uh, a Day, good to, day die to Die Hard. Die hard. Yeah, but this one just Die Harder, which I think is emblematic like of the I, I like the simplicity of Die Harder. I wish it was just called Die Harder and not Die Hard 2. And the subtitle, like the tagline is Die Harder. I do. I think I agree with that. The Die Harder by itself would have been better. And then if they didn't call the third one Die Hardest, then what are they even doing? Right. Um. Although I think I would be on board with Die Hard, Die Harder, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Okay. And I, and I just think that that's how we should do comparison, comparatives and superlatives in English from now on. Hard, harder, with a vengeance. Hard with a vengeance. Yeah. Good, better, good with a vengeance. <laughs> For some reason, I just started imagining like Grover on Sesame Street, like hard, harder, harder, harder hard with, with a vengeance. vengeance. Yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, I'm 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 here for it. Um, yeah, why not? But yeah, this is the sequel. The infinitely more successful sequel than Die Hard doubled its its earnings, doubled the earnings of the original Die Hard. Yeah, but that doesn't really mean anything because that's kind of always what happens is that the sequels always make money, which is why they make them. And they're always yeah, not always, but a lot of times not as good steps down. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be an interesting episode. One because we're talking about a movie that most people forget exists. Yes. Which is not usually we talk about movies people haven't watched to begin with. That's usually our MO. Our wheelhouse is alienating our audience with obscure titles <laughs> that cause them to scratch their heads and say, what? It's like, why are they watching Star Crash? Yeah. So that's usually uh, our starting point. But this movie has the distinction of having the highest Metacritic score of any movie that we've watched for this podcast. Right. But I also, we talked about this and I, I put an asterisk by that because I, first of all, I mean, we could get into a whole thing about Metacritic scores in general, but I think they're fairly useless for any movies that existed pre the internet because it's an aggregator and it's only aggregating reviews that are still available now. For the movie. Yeah, no, I think that this this particular aggregate score is based on about 20 reviews. Yeah. And I have to imagine, uh, though, I I was more concerned with, uh, I don't know, being a child in 1990. <laughs> uh, but I have to imagine that this did not have an overwhelmingly positive critical reception 
when it came out. I don't know, though. I was looking at it and like Ebert gave it really high marks. Yeah, I did see that, too. And apparently Ebert liked it better than the original, which I think automatically disqualifies Ebert from having an opinion. I think that ends his opinions as a critic. I think that he values all of his opinions ever as a critic. I agree. I think retroactively we look. We should all side with Siskel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so objectively, Roger Ebert, obviously one of the best film critics of all time, but he also liked Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties more than The Usual Suspects. Yes. Yeah. And to be clear, in case you heard that and you didn't listen to when we did that episode, not saying like The Usual Suspects, meaning other critics, like Andy wasn't being clever. He actually means the Academy Award winning film. Multiple Academy Award winning film. (laughs) The Usual usual Suspects. Yes. And the, to my knowledge, zero Academy Award winning film, Garfield, The Tale of Two Kitties. Yes. Yes. All of that is true. But if you want to know more about the director of that film, I recommend going back a few weeks to our Grumpy Cat episode because it's the same director. It is the same director. To be clear. Garfield, The Tale of Two Kitties, not The Usual Suspects. That wasn't directed by anyone. No, that movie did not have a director. Yeah. I like to think that Christopher McQuarrie directed it in secret. I mean, yeah, it, let's all imagine. He he certainly has continued to have an amazing career. Yes. Um, but we're here to talk about Die even more hardly. Yeah. Man, and... what if they made one called Die Hardly? And it was actually just a movie where no one died. I'm I'm here for it. It's just about John McClane and Al Powell just having the perfect day together where Al they get should, their hair done. Well, Al shows him around Los Angeles, I would imagine, because we learn in this film that John McClane has transferred to L.A. Uh, clearly to reunite with his family. And he's working with Al, so I would have to imagine there'd have to be, you know, Al's taking him around, showing him yeah, various, like the Hollywood the sign. strip, the Hollywood sign, yeah, the Santa Monica Pier. Yeah, they, they go down, get their photo taken with some of the superheroes by the Chinese theater. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just die hardly. Nobody, nobody dies in that movie. Hardly. Yeah. Well, well, like one guy almost dies, but he hardly dies. He hardly dies. Yeah, and it's Al that... because he chokes on a Twinkie and he right. almost dies. Famous choking hazard Twinkie. <laughs> yes. It's, it's almost liquid in its natural form. <laughs> but somehow it gets lodged in his throat. Somehow, some way. Um, yeah. So do they explain why John McClane is at Dulles Airport ahead of his wife? I don't know that they explain why he's ahead of his wife, but I thought you were going to ask why he's at Dallas Airport, which they do explain because apparently Holly's parents live in D.C. is the explanation that we're given. So that's why they're going to D.C. OK, I, I missed that. It's it's a line of dialogue when he, I think it's when his car Wait, is this getting movie had dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I think it's when his car is getting towed at the beginning. He says something about his in-laws. He's like, I'm stuck here with my in-laws while Holly's still in plane. I think it's something like that. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. If so, this movie also, I think, might have the second highest Rotten Tomatoes score. Of anything we've watched, uh, the highest is actually uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, which I and I think that's the interesting thing, right? Because so you're using this data, which we do use when we're deciding on things, and they would make it sound like these are both maybe well-respected movies that don't feel right to do on this podcast. But I think emotionally, if people were honest with themselves, they're both clear fodder for this podcast because Temple of Doom often maligned by Indiana Jones fans. And this movie, as you already said, forgotten by Die Hard fans. I guarantee, because Die Hard, I think, objectively one of the best action movies of all time. I think it is the best action movie of all time. I'll just take that stance. I'm willing um, to state I, it. I, I'm I'm not going to put up too much of a fight. I think there's probably movies you could make arguments for, but I'm fine saying Die Hard's the best action movie of all time. Yeah, and just uh, just to all cards on the table... I watched Die Hard in a theater this past week because they're doing like 35th 
anniversary is that what it is i think it's 35th i think so yeah but uh they they re-released it in theaters and i got to watch it on the big screen for the first time ever and even better than watching it in my house which i do every year yeah um no die hard is as close and not only is it like the best action movie like i think it's as close to a perfect action like i don't know how you could make die hard better i don't think you could i would argue that you can't I think that's a fair argument, yeah. um, you know, and it's it's phenomenal. And I think that our opinions are not hot takes about Die Hard. I mean, maybe now that I said that, maybe you could not have a plot line about a cop who shot a kid needing to get his confidence back to shoot other people. Maybe that of all the things in Die Hard didn't age super well. I mean, it didn't age well, but... <laughs> That it's like a heartfelt like B story in the movie is this guy needs to get his confidence back so he can start shooting so, people so he again. Go back to shooting bad guys. Not great. No, it's it's less it's it's less than stellar. Um, yeah. If you pull it enough threads, you're gonna gonna find something that comes loose. But I again, I don't think that we're making like bold stances by saying that Die Hard is a near perfect action movie, the best action movie. Like I, I think that more people would agree with us than disagree with us. I feel like also I'm just going to put it up there too. I don't know about the best, but one of the best character introductions of all times is Hans Gruber walking out of the back of that truck. Yeah. In his like, that's the thing. Die Hard's good. And then Hans Gruber shows up and it's amazing. Yeah. It, like that scene is such a great example of show. Don't tell. Yes. Yeah, because he you just see all of the the henchmen like they're all funneling out of the back of this truck and nobody says anything. But you just the way it's shot and the way that your eye follows, you just watch Alan Rickman walk to the front of the group and then everybody falls in line behind him. And without a word, you've now shown this guy's in charge and this is a well organized team. Yeah, I would say that if I had to like spitball and think of something that might be better, it might be like having someone doing some like naked Tai Chi. I mean, that sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, but the point I was I was getting to is. As many fans as there are of Die Hard, I don't think you could find 10 people that could recount this plot unless they just left a screening of it. Here's the thing. I just watched it for this podcast. I'm not confident I could correctly explain the plot because it's weirdly convoluted. Like, yeah, unnecessarily so. And yeah, this. uh, Watching this movie, like we've seen it, we've watched our fair share of movies that we felt like got a bad rap. I don't know how anyone liked this movie. No, this movie got a good rap. This might be a chance. Look, this show is all about watching movies that others have dismissed and finding positivity in them. And this might be the only episode that we've ever done where we're like, anyone who likes this is wrong. <laughs> I mean, we'll still I mean, we're not going to let Die Hard 2 defeat us because we have a perfect streak. Yeah. And no, and I, I'm confident there are silver linings. I I know that we will find them and uh, the, yeah, that this this movie will not defeat us. But I just yeah, I need to be clear if you're listening to this and you like Die Hard 2, you're wrong. Yeah, it's it, it's a, it's bad. Yeah, it's not a good movie. It's not fun. Nope. It's not entertaining. It's not enjoyable. It's not easy to follow no and here's what's weird it's it came out two years after die hard it is simultaneously the same exact movie again but also doesn't understand why die hard worked it's astonishing because it's it is for sure a movie that's just like okay why did die hard work well there was john mcclain and there was his wife holly and clearly william atherton which god bless I love that they brought back William Atherton. Of all the people to bring back, they bring back William Atherton. And they brought back uh, Reginald Vell Johnson. Like, they clearly brought back more of the original cast than we will ever see in a subsequent Die Hard film, which is to say anyone that isn't Bruce Willis in the later films. Yeah, does Bonnie Bedelia even show up? She shows up in, I think, at least in pictures. There's a photo of her 
in Die Hard with a Vengeance, and there's a woman's voice on the phone, but I would almost wager money that it's not her voice. Because if it was, why wouldn't they show her? I don't think she came back for Die Hard with a Vengeance. Or Live Free or Die Hard. No, she's definitely gone. And then they just recast uh, Lucy for Live Free or Die Hard. They have Mary Elizabeth Winstead player. And then they made a fifth one with the son. And we with talked about it. We talked about it on this show. You can listen to it. Um, Yeah, I mean, A Good Day to Die Hard or whatever it is, is the worst one. It's definitely the worst. This is the second worst. Yes, for sure. Yeah, because, yeah, the, the one with Timothy Oliphant. I don't Oliphant. think it's close. No, no, because to be clear, Die Hard, best action movie ever made. Live Free or Die Hard, very enjoyable action movie. And then, um, was it... Uh, uh, well, Die Hard with a Vengeance is That's what two. I meant to say. Sorry, I said the wrong title because these titles are... So, Die Hard with a Vengeance, very good action movie. Live Free or Die Hard, watchable. Yeah, and then uh, this movie, bad. And then the last one shouldn't have happened. Yes. Not even a Die Hard movie, I would argue. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't, other than having Bruce Willis playing John McClane, it's really not a Die Hard movie. Yeah, because it gets into this whole, I don't know, his son's in the CIA or something. It's very stupid. Um, Yeah. I actually do think the best adjective to describe this movie is bad. Yes. Oh, but sorry. What I was starting to say, the two is like so simultaneously, a lot of the same people show up. And, and it once again, like that became a shorthand after the success of Die Hard to be like such and such movie is Die Hard in a fixed location. And this is very right. clearly Die Hard in an airport. Yes. Yeah, speed is Die Hard on a bus. Yeah. Um, speed two is Die Hard on a boat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, all of that, that Seagal movie is Die Hard on a train. Uh, you know. uh, Air Force One is Die Hard on Air Force One. Yes, et cetera, Executive et cetera. Decision is also Die Hard on Air Force One. Yes. Um, and then that other Steven Seagal movie is, or no, it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, is Die Hard in a hockey stadium. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so it clearly is copying that. It's also set at Christmas, but... The things that it doesn't understand that are, I would maybe say, like the the je ne sais quoi of of Die Hard are. I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, OK, uh, but the the things that make it special for, I think, an action movie are one. Um, well, Alan Rickman, I think, important, like just yeah. the one of, if not the greatest villains in an action movie. Uh, but then also. You have. John McClane is just a guy, you know, he's he's a dude who's trying to go to his wife's Christmas party, trying to save his marriage. And for most of Die Hard, he gets the shit kicked out of him like he's not that tough. He's not a super cop. He like Carl's brother in Die Hard. I can't remember his name, but, the you know, the the first guy that he fights is like the nerdiest one of the diehard crew and he yeah. kicks John McClane's ass. Right. And John McClane is way too good at fighting in this movie. But that's what I mean is like it already immediately does not understand John McClane should just like he's the Mikey Whipwreck of action heroes that like he should just get pummeled over and over again and dirty and then somehow win. And in this movie the first big action scene he has, it's like a room full of highly trained killers and he takes them out with precision. And oh, he gives them the business. Yeah. And it's, that's not John McClane. You already didn't understand who this guy was. So there's that. And then the other thing is Die Hard, as much as it is an action movie, it is also just a movie about a guy's marriage crumbling and him realizing that what he really wants is to survive the day to be reunited with Holly. Yeah. And that, you know, that it's, he feels put upon, like he doesn't have a choice, but to get through the situation. Whereas like in this movie, it almost feels like he's looking for trouble. And there isn't any emotional arc at all. It's not about anything. He doesn't want anything. He just, all he seems to want is to not be at the airport, which I feel you buddy, but like, that's not really an arc for an action movie. 
Right. Though he could have left at any point. That's the other problem, too, right, is that he is trapped in the building in Die Hard. There is he is not at all trapped here. And it's arguable. You get into a situation where obviously he stops the bad guys in this, but this is always where you get into the uh, the sort of Raiders of the Lost Ark question of. Would Holly just have been able to land her plane if John <laughs> hadn't interfered? Because clearly everyone else was going to let the bad guys get away. So would all the would that have all happened faster, allowing the airport to get back up and running before Holly's plane ran out of fuel and then it could have just landed? It's a it's it's a question worth asking versus the original Die Hard, where if John wasn't involved, all of the hostages were going to be blown up on the roof. Right. And instead of just uh, the one shmarmy guy being the only hostage that was and uh, Mr. Nakatomi, the only two hostages killed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Takagi and Ellis both die. But Ellis tries to die very hard. He he, he dies he hard. He does die hard. He, he dies does, hard. He does die hard. Also, I just want to side tangent because I want to give a shout out to Molly when we watched Die Hard in the movie theater because I'd never thought this before. And then she put this out there and I loved it so much that in that scene with Ellis that uh, Carl brings him a can of Coca-Cola and pours it while he's talking and after the movie, she was like, I never thought about it before, but do you think that Ellis just looked at him and asked for some Coke? And they brought him 100%. a Coke. I, but I, that really got me because I had never considered that before. But like he asked for some Coke and so they brought him Coca-Cola. Yeah, that's not what he wanted. It's a good visual joke. It is a good it's a good like. See, in Die Hard's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, because you can pick up on stuff like that. I mean, I'm not saying there's a chance that there isn't things I could pick up on on subsequent watches of Die Harder, uh, but I don't want to try. But you'd have to want to watch it again. Also, can we clarify this? Because I think this is important. Obviously, we're doing this movie right now, but it's become, I would argue, some people's personality to every year do the bit of like, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? And we're going to settle this right now for everybody. It is. And I'll tell yeah. you why. Like, and again, if we we could get Jill Vitko back on the show with us, who is the uh, Christmas movie expert. But I think she would agree because it is a movie about a man and a woman who in like it's it's essentially a romantic story that takes place during Christmas where someone works too hard and, and needs Christmas to, is a part of the inciting event for the movie. Right. It's all set during Christmas. Christmas is very central. Everything runs through Christmas with the now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 and Santa hats, and it's a Christmas party. And again, it's about someone choosing love over work, which is such a Christmas movie theme. The whole thing is great. And then literally the final shot is the... um. What are they? The I want to say bearer bonds. Is that the right thing? What are the they bills. stealing? The the T bills, the treasury bills. Yeah, the treasury bills raining down from the sky to look like snow as let it snow plays and they drive off together. Yeah, it's a Christmas um, movie. No, I it like two things to say to this. One, objectively, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Two, you're not smart or edgy when someone asks you what your favorite Christmas movie and you answer Die Hard. Also agree, because the right answer is Elf. Okay. It is. Okay. What's yours? What's yours? Um, Scrooged. That's also good. I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> I love Scrooged. Yeah. Also, here, this is where we're going to get real spicy. Die Harder, not a Christmas movie. It's a movie set at Christmas time. Yeah, for all the reasons that we just said. It is set at Christmas. It has no Christmas themes or plot elements in it. It's just also set at Christmas. And it has more snow in it, but that still doesn't make it a Christmas movie. No, like Christmas, like other, it, like literally it's just set at Christmas time. Yeah, but there, it's not thematically a Christmas movie. I mean, by that logic, you could also make the argument that Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. It's just a movie set at Christmas time. But again, I think that Home Alone has more Christmas elements in that it is about Kevin learning that he does want to be around his family, which I think is still a very like Christmas. That is message. a Christmassy message. Also, yeah. a man in a white beard comes to his house at the end to save him. Right. Um, so, so I still Home think Alone it's a, two, not a Christmas movie. Yeah, I would just a movie that. set at Christmas time. Yes, I think Home Alone two is set at Christmas time. 
Although it does have the Grinch in it with that guy that comes into that hotel. Yeah. And delivers those lines. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Die Hard 2. If you want to argue that all movies set at Christmas time are Christmas movies, I'll give that to you. But it's this movie does not thematically hit any of the Christmas movie beats yeah, other than if, being set at Christmas. Time. If you want to be wrong, you can. But sure. Like, I mean, words are meaningless. You can say anything you want, I guess. And I, like and I would say in the case of Die Hard, the only thing working against it as a Christmas movie is that it wasn't released and marketed as such. Because it came out in like June. Yeah, but it's shown now at Christmas. That's but been it, it has become a Christmas movie. Yeah. So I think there's that, too, of like, I think the world decided that it's a Christmas yeah, movie. Like Ray Bradbury intended the his book, famous book, Fahrenheit 451, to be about the dangers of television. But no, everyone just decided it's about censorship. Yeah. At some point, uh, authorial intent, uh, like intent does not matter. Like we as a collective society decide and we as a collective society decided that we don't care about Die Harder and you'll never see it shown anywhere. Yeah. You don't like you don't want to watch it at all. Um, I, I think we just I think we have to address just how unnecessarily convoluted this movie's plot is. OK. All right. Let's I think it. that's the worst thing about it. In my humble opinion, I think the worst thing about it we already talked about is that it doesn't understand that John McClane is just okay, a yeah. dude and it makes him like a an Arnold Schwarzenegger style action star. But yeah, he's more he's more Stallone Schwarzenegger than Bruce Willis. Right. And I don't think that plays to Bruce Willis's strengths, but I would agree that the other major flaw is that this plot is way too complicated. Because Die Hard's. A, all of it's like a B. It has like four plots going on the original Die Hard, but they all are simple and make sense. Right. And the thing that all the subsequent sequels brought back that I love from the original Die Hard is that whatever the thing is, is actually camouflage for a robbery. Right. And this movie actually dabbles in the idea that the villains believe in the cause instead of it being a robbery. And that's and that's not fun. No, it's fun for it to be a robbery. Yeah. Right. Like Die Hard with a Vengeance works because while um, Simon Gruber is very happy to get revenge for his brother, uh, he's more happy to steal all of that gold. Yes. And also, man, I I really, truly think that that movie is the only one that, again, it's not as good. It's also McTiernan came back and directed it, but it is. It's as close to the original as I think a sequel could get. And man, Jeremy Irons is amazing in that movie. So good. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He should have won um, an Academy Award for his delivery of somebody had fun. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so this movie, uh, it starts with John McClane at the airport to wait for the arrival of Holly. Yes. Uh, and then he bumps into William Sadler's uh, Ed Harris from The Rock character. Who, as you alluded to, was previous to that introduced doing naked Tai Chi. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then through the course of the movie, you realize that uh, William Sadler and his band of paramilitary whatever the Fs are trying to... Uh, Gain the freedom of General Espinoza, who's Noriega, uh, who is who is an analog for uh, Manuel Noriega, who's from the fictional uh, Latin American country of Valverde. Yeah, but he's supposed to land at the airport and they've essentially hijacked the entire airport in order to get his freedom. Yes. Um, And. Then there's also an actual military unit from the U.S. military that's in on it, led by John Amos, which is a, a late. We find that out super late that they're secretly in on it. Like almost third act. Yeah. And they're not even introduced until like mid second act. Right. There, it, there isn't that long that they're actually <laughs> shown to be not like the before their heel turn happens. They don't have much of a time as like faces before. And then, like, William Sadler is at the airport, but then randomly leaves to go to a a church in the middle of nowhere to murder the pastor and then set up an air traffic control station there. 
Yeah, because that's their like, mo- I don't know what. Yeah, I agree that I don't know why he was at the airport. But yeah, they're setting up like their mobile command center airport. Right. But there are also guys hiding in the baggage claim that John McClane inexplicably took out with uh, razor precision. Yes. <laughs> Which I think they say are like their best squad or whatever. It's implied that they're like the top tier of this crew. Right. And then Dennis Franz plays himself. Yes. And he's just immediately. Also, in this movie, John McClane is super famous because this is two years after the. Which that does track. But I'm saying, but everybody loves him and trusts him except this one character that's like, fuck you. Except Sipowitz from NYPD. This is unimpressed immediately and does not trust the guy's instincts for stopping a terrorist attack. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then eventually there's like way too over choreographed of an action scene, like fighting on the wing of the plane and which, blowing up the plane and which people I remember when that one Fast and Furious movie came out, people gave it a lot of grief for how long that plane taxied. I think if you clocked how long John McClane is on the wing of that airplane that it should have taken off six times by the time he falls off. of It, it. it was just doing laps around the uh, runway, especially because it's clear. That's the whole point is that there are no other planes on this runway. <laughs> right. That there's no reason it should have stayed grounded. Um, yeah. And then John McClane wins through his. Not through his grit and guile and uh, smarts, but through just being tougher. Well, and through some amount of luck, because yeah, he ultimately wins because the the plane is leaking fuel, you know, through sort of a lucky, you know, because he accidentally like shoots a hole in the gas cap or something. Right, but it's sort of a fluke. Like it's not. Yeah, he to your point, he doesn't do anything intentionally. He just realizes that fuel is spilling out of it. Yeah, and like, and this whole movie takes place in an absolute torrential blizzard. Yes, which hilariously, uh, I'm sure you read the same stuff I did. It was when it was filmed, It they thought that this was a lock that they would have snow. And then it was like an unseasonably warm winter where they could not find real snow. And I, I just want to point out. As someone who lives in the the Mid Atlantic in the DC metro area, that much snow, there wouldn't be anyone at the airport. The, well, the airport would for sure shut down, and so would ninety five. Yeah, so would the Beltway, so would sixty six, so would the Dulles Toll Road. Yeah, it would be inaccessible. No, DC, if for people that don't know, cannot handle any like amount of snow. What happens is if like. A flake of snow falls from the sky. Everyone runs out, immediately buys all the bread and toilet paper from the local and milk milk from the local grocery stores and then immediately abandon their cars on the side of 95 and hide. Yeah. Um, DC, the DC Metro, Baltimore, this whole little megalopolis down here. It's inexplicable how bad they are at dealing with snow for how much snow they get. Well, and some of it is uh, built into the fact that the governments, you know, the people in charge don't allocate the resources to clear the roads. Sure. But like, but I'm saying that's the inexplicable thing is that we get enough snow and often enough snow that we should be able to handle an inch of snow. Right. The fact that they've never pivoted to actually because I, I lived in that area and I also then after that lived in Boston for a few years in Boston, it's like they're precision with that that the roads are clear that day i live i grew up in syracuse new york and if you know anything about syracuse (laughs) new york it is frequently the snowiest city with over a hundred thousand people in it in the country yeah um if we get three feet of snow on a friday on a thursday evening we're going to work on friday right yeah we would need to get three feet of snow between six and six oh five a.m. for it to actually close things. <laughs> right, but yeah, D.C., Baltimore, that whole area, 
cannot handle snow at all. You're no, absolutely and, and, correct. And we routinely get, you know, an inch here, an inch there enough. It happens enough that like there's no excuse. So that's already like that level of snowstorm would have just grind everything to a halt. Right. Um, And so then, yeah, John McClane saves the day. Uh, Holly's playing with also William Atherton lands and then they play Let It Snow again, the same version, because it's the same movie. Yeah, why not? Uh, but yeah, like. This movie's bad, and I think we just need to pivot because I'm not going to let it beat us. Well, I do want to because you did a great job recapping the plot, but I just want to mention one thing because, well, there's two things. One the the whole it's important to note that this took place many years before 9-11 and i say that because sure. there is an entire plot point about just smashing an entire airplane to the ground and letting it explode in this movie which shouldn't happen then but is actually unfathomable to like put in a movie now on um, yeah well and it's just the novelty of uh an elderly woman bringing a taser onto a plane with her. I thought that too. Yeah, there's a, a woman because Atherton, because he got punched in the first movie, he gets tased in this movie by Holly, which I also would argue in the first movie, he he deserved to be punched. In the second movie, I don't think he really deserves to be tased by Holly. He's just doing his job in this movie of like reporting that he's on a plane versus in the other one, he went to her house and bothered her children. Yeah. I mean, what he should have said was nothing. Yes. In both cases. But, but I'm saying Holly personally, I don't know why she cares this time. I Except think that she, hates she him. thinks he's a dick. Yeah. yeah, she just hates him. But um, and uh, I mean, we could call it an early silver lining, but William, there's few actors that play smarmy dick as good as William Atherton. Look, he he did it in Ghostbusters and he did it in Die Hard and he nailed it both times. I mean, yeah. and he's he's good in this one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, so the the actual airplane blowing up was one of those things. And, and the taser, I guess, too, or watching it now, it's just impossible to go like, wow, you could have like, I feel like so often people have those like you couldn't do that in a movie today. I'm like, you actually could not do that in a movie now. And I don't think you should. And I'm not saying that I, it was a better time. I'm just saying it's wild that there was a time when an action movie could just have a plane explode for fun at an airport. Yeah, um, I do think it's interesting that no actual airlines would allow their planes to be used in this movie. I mean, that's pretty standard. That's like the you know, they have those made up airlines for like Lost and, you know, that's because yeah. uh, what's the Lost one that they use the airline? um Whatever it is, I can't remember, but it's like whatever airline they use is like because they there's all these like fake companies like Morley cigarettes instead of, you know, Marlboro or whatever, like whatever the Oceanic. That's what it is. Yes, Oceanic. Oceanic, I think, might even be the like an airline that's in, um, you know, like I think it's the snakes on a plane airline. too. Yeah, yeah. It, it shows up in other. But uh, but yeah. And so like that's not surprising that they don't want their airlines associated Although I think now, if they made it now, Spirit would go for it. Spirit would be all in. They would take it. But uh, but yeah, that's wild. And then the other thing that I just want to note before we pivot, there is a scene in this movie where so the the heel turn happens because the the well, who we thought were heroes actually load their guns with blanks instead of real bullets, which I don't understand why, but we're not going to get bogged down by that. But John McClane finds one of their weapons and realizes they're blanks. And then when Dennis Franz is not listening to him in a office filled with people, including a lot of police officers with weapons drawn at him, he fires the blanks at point blank range, which, first of all, truly unhinged that he does it. And second of all, he would be dead right now. Oh, murdered. Because they all wait to see like, oh, they're fake, like instead of just firing at him. That is the closest equivalent to suicide by cop that you could possibly do. Yeah. So that's just a truly unhinged scene that I wanted to note before we pivoted. No, I think it's important to note that unhinged scene. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, let's pivot. Uh, Like this movie doesn't get who John McClane is, but man, Bruce Willis does. Yeah. I look, I appreciated uh, just the facts, ma'am. 
That was a good Bruce Willis charming line. Charming one-liner. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to give it up for my man Fred Thompson. <laughs> okay. Dude, like, I don't know. He just, like, he's a great, like, small role authority character and former governor of New Mexico. Yeah, where he had a small role of authority. Yeah, exactly. Small role authority figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he has good know, screen like, presence. Like, legit for, like, a, a politician turned actor, he's very good on screen. Yeah. And he it's went from this around. to have whatever it is. But he went on to have many, many years as, as on Law and Order or whatever. Yes. Did he yeah. did he go politician and then back to actor or I don't remember whatever. No, I think he, he finished his career as a politician because he served in the Senate after he was governor, too. OK, well, sure. Whatever. Either way. He's a good actor. Um, yeah. No, he is. Yeah. Uh, I mean. I like William Sadler a lot, but it is like it's painfully obvious that he's no Alan Rickman and that hurts this movie. He's a pretty weak villain, and I don't think most of it's his fault. They they also I mean, the clip that we played at the beginning is like the closest that we get to him and and John McClane sparring. And it's not anything. Um, But I will say, speaking of other villains, uh, that Franco Nero plays uh, General Esperanza. And while he doesn't do much in this movie, it reminds me of the original Django, and that movie's fantastic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Franco Nero played Django in those movies, and um, they're like it's one of the best non um Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns out there. It's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Can I also give a shout out to John Leguizamo, who, uh, from what I was reading, was supposed to have a bigger role in this movie than they realized he was too short and they cut all his scenes. Yes, they didn't realize he's three foot eight. Yeah, but it still made me happy to see him. So yeah, and I love I love John. Um, John Leguizamo is uh, fantastic, and oh. you know, friend of the show, John Leguizamo. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, also, this is at least his third appearance. Yes. Um, but yeah, Reginald Vell Johnson. I this is the only movie that we got him back, which I think Al Pal should have showed up in later films. And I did for everything else that I don't enjoy about this movie. The the idea. That after their bromance in the first movie that they got to work together, even if only briefly, because by the time with a vengeance rolled around, he was back to being a New York cop and his marriage was right. on the skids. But like for this brief window, he and Al Pal for this one shining moment, they got to spend their days together. And again, I still think there's room for Die Hardly to exist. You know, I'd be here for it. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, like, even though the action is like the plot is convoluted and the action movies, the action doesn't have any weight. Because one of the things I texted to you was that, like, this movie is objectively higher stakes than Die Hard, but nothing feels high stakes in this. Yeah, because Die Hard really is about a robbery where, again, a lot of, um, you know, innocent people would have died who were at the party but it's still i think it's about 30 hostages they say would have died where like again if an entire if you know like what is it is it dulles airport that uh -huh. this, yeah if dulles airport if all of the planes in the sky crashed that would be in like incomprehensible tragedy yeah yeah objectively but it doesn't um, feel as big you're right even like with a vengeance, I don't even think is anyone like there's an explosion in the subway, but like it doesn't actually feel like with a vengeance, ha they're just going to blow up some boats with gold on them. But like, I don't think well, any there's the this the bomb in the school that they had to defuse, but it's fake. That's a fake bomb. That's right. It is fake. That's right. That's what I'm saying is I don't actually think that there is much threat to like uh innocent life in that movie but that movie feels like it has much higher stakes as well um that to say like in another movie like the fight on the airplane wing would be cool yes yeah you know and like the fight in the baggage uh area is cool yes yeah like there is good act this movie does have good action scenes yes that if you can if you can separate from the silliness of everything else around it like and you could even maybe you could maybe argue that on a technical level, the action's more interesting in this than Die Hard. You'd be wrong. But it's not better. It's not better. 
You'd be wrong to argue it, but you could if you were a scoundrel. <laughs> if you were a rap, if you were a rap scallion, um, like, but it's like it's a more stylized, like less gritty, a little bit cleaner action. Yeah. Um, and it's shot well and it looks cool. Uh, but like everything, every step, every action in the original Die Hard is better and more interesting. No, I mean, look, like McTiernan. He he made Die Hard. He made Die Hard with a Vengeance. He made Predator. I think on those three films alone, that guy should just like, you know, he's in the action film Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, like we were talking about like movies that you'd argue like I would say Predator is just enough sci fi to like be a different thing. But I would put Predator as one of my that's like that might actually be my favorite action movie if it's not Die Hard. It's yeah. it's razor thin. But I'm saying like the, the man has but yeah, you the do pedigree. Those three. Like yeah. what else? Yeah. You know, who go to lunch like you've done it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also he did Last Action Hero, I believe, too, which is also a ton of fun. Yeah. I mean, the dude, that dude's a, an amazing. And the thing is, from what I was reading, um, he he wanted to do this sequel, but he was busy doing The Hunt for Red October, which is also a good movie and which we referenced not that long ago, I believe, on this show. <laughs> We were talking about inexplicable accents. Yes. So that actually came up fairly recently. But uh, I think it was also the 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 Grumpy Cat episode, I believe. Uh, I think it might have been. But um, but yeah, like he wanted to do this. And I do think I would have loved to see his Die Hard sequel. I guess we did in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, we Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah. Um, yeah, this like. I mean, honestly. I would say as a viewer, if you haven't seen it, give it a shot and see how disappointing it is. Yeah. Like that, like, um, but like there's good acting in this movie. There's good directing in this movie. Terrible script. Yeah. It's like um, plot is not good. It's way too convoluted. Uh, also, we give a shout out to a lot of people. I think you have to give a shout out to Bonnie Bedelia, who I do love. Absolutely. She's great as Holly Gennaro. And McClane this was Gennaro. the last time, as we said, that she played Holly. But she still has some good moments in this movie. Her rivalry with William Atherton is delightful in all times. And oh, those airplane scenes are object. Those are some of the best scenes in the movie. Yes. I think. Yeah. And, and she's great. And I, I mean, her in the first movie, she's phenomenal because like. You watch that movie and you understand exactly why this woman loves why they got together in the first place and why they don't work. Yeah, I think her best line in the first movie is uh, when she realizes that John is still alive because Carl is like just slamming things around in the office. And she's like, only John could make someone that angry. And she's smiling because yeah. she's like relieved that he's that's, still alive. That's my John. That's my John. No, she's great. And so I do want to give a shout out to her. Yeah. I, I do have one more, and I think this is an important silver lining for this film, because I think people, they might not realize it's from this one, but I think when I say it, a lot of people have probably heard this before. So an infamous thing about this movie is its TV edit, because this has a lot of F-bombs in it, and it famously... At the end, which also we didn't talk too much about it, but I do like him blowing up the plane with the cigarette lighter, even though it's yeah, it's it corny. That's not a thing, but it it but looks it's cool. Great, it's cool. Rule of cool wins. Yeah. in that case, and so and the fire like going up the the gas, you know, like the trail of gasoline that's pouring out or fuel, you know. Uh, but all that being said, instead of saying "yippee kaye motherfucker," obviously you can't say that on TV. So it has. One of the worst TV edits ever, both for it. They just went for matching the lips and it's a nonsensical line. And also there was no attempt made to sound like Bruce Willis on whoever they got to record it. And so, of course, I have the audio for you if you've never heard it. But here is what TV viewers heard when he lights the fuel on fire. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. Yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon. I don't know what that voice is. One more time, I think. Yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon. Is that someone doing an impression of Simon Gruber? I, maybe. Yeah, maybe they misunderstood. And they're actually doing it. Yippee Mr. Falcon. Yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon. It's, yeah, I don't, that's what it says. Like, oh. yeah, yeah. And the closest you can get is that 
at one point they like the code name for uh general esperanza's plane is the falcon it still doesn't make any it sense. doesn't work at all no 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 no, no. don't get it, me wrong don't don't misinterpret what i'm saying here but also i do like because we're never going to get to talk about this other movie uh i do want to say that since we've been ranking things yippee ki mr falcon the second greatest tv dub of a line that you can't say on television and of course the greatest ever is still from the big lebowski this is what happens larry you see what happens larry you see what happens when you find a stranger in the alps this is what happens at least that sounds like John Good. Like he did his own ADR for that. I think it is John Goodman. Also, now as I'm playing these, I realized the other one that also is snakes on a plane is snakes on a plane. And it is Samuel L. Jackson saying, I'm tired of these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane, which is find a stranger in the Alps is better because that makes even less sense because <laughs> The snakes aren't fighting monkeys. They should have the been. The plane is not Monday. To f- snakes versus monkeys on a plane. I think, yeah, snakes and monkeys it's on a die plane. die hard, but with snakes and monkeys on a plane. It's die hard with a, a plane full of snakes, and the the hero is a monkey. Is There's just one macaque monkey that is trying to save his wife from being murdered by snakes. John macaque, obviously. John macaque, yeah. It goes without saying that it's John macaque. Um... <laughs> And yeah, and you know, make it happen, Hollywood. <laughs> and also, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or whatever. Yeah, know. have a jubilant Kwanzaa or, you know, just nothing. Happy nothing. Happy nothing. Enough is enough. I have had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's a podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We We have have to ask. ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peak Sloth Network at peaksloth.com. Peaksloth.com.